Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi there, listeners. We really are on the road today. We are actually in a car at the top of um, some canyon somewhere. <laughs> on our way to We've got with us, we have two special guests. And let's see if they introduce themselves. What's your name, young man? Oliver. Oliver what? Oliver Lucy. And what's your name, young man? Silas Lucy. How old are you? Seven. How old are you? Seven. Wait, how can you both be seven? Because we're twins. You're twins? Yes. And when did you just have your birthday? Um, a few days ago. A few days ago? Uh-huh. And you turned how old? Seven. Now, I heard you boys had a song you wanted to sing. Is that right? Uh-huh. Let's hear it. We love you, Grandpa. Oh, yes, we do. We don't love anyone as much as you. When you're not with us, what's new? How did you guys get so good on singing? Because we practiced a lot. You, you did what? We practiced a lot. I have one more really important question for you boys. I heard that you guys got some transformers the other day. Is that right? Mm-hmm. How did you get... Did someone just give you those transformers? No, we have to earn them. You had to earn them. What does that mean, earn them? Like, but they tricked me totally. I was like, dang it. It said, 
for my dad. Then they bit me, so I opened it up, and it had transformers in it. And did you feel pretty proud of yourself uh-huh. that you earned that money? Uh-huh. Do you take good care of those transformers? Yeah. You do? Why do you take such good care of them? Because we love them. And you earn the money, right? Mm-hmm. All right, boys, what grade are you in? First grade? Mm-hmm. And um, are, do you look kind of the same as each other? Yeah. Why is that? Because we're twins, identical twins. Identical twins. Well, that's pretty cool. So that was Silas and Oliver, Linda. What did you think of that interview? These are just two of the best kids in the world. They are so awesome. They know how to earn money. You should have seen their charts. They did a great job with that. Now, boys, be very quiet for a minute. We might let you talk again in the second half of the show. How's that? Is that a deal, boys? All right. You're in the back seat, and we're in the front seat. And we are. where are we going, by the way, boys? They're going to see their grandmother. They're actually their great-grandmother. And their favorite thing about going to their great-grandmother's house is that... Linda, they have wonderful puzzles. Grandmother has, Grandma has so many wonderful toys, and actually when our children were little, she had them check out the toys they wanted and then do the puzzle they wanted, which she actually handmade herself with a jigsaw, and then she would check them back in again. So as you can see, this has come down through the generations to take good care of toys and things that they do. Did you earn those puzzles? I don't think so, honey, but you did it a different way. (laughs) Well, you know, the reason we wanted to put these little seven-year-old, just had their birthday, identical twins, on the Ayers on the road today, I mean, other than the fact that we're on the road and they're in the back seat, the reason we wanted to put them on is because they are quite remarkable illustrations of the fact that when kids earn something, something very magical happens. They begin to take care of things and they begin to feel that thing that we often call the pride of ownership. And if you want to see a magical transformation, compare how well a child takes care of something that's just given to him with how well a child takes care of something that he actually works for. Explain the system that their mother used a little more, Linda, on how they earned those transformers. Well, they actually made a video of this, and it was so fun to see because they did their own charts, and they had 40 little squares, not quite square because they drew them themselves, and every time they finished a little job, they filled in the square according to how much it cost. Now, you know, you think, well, can can you really do that anymore? The answer is absolutely yes. Now, Richard had a paper route when he was a kid. I think, I don't know, you probably were had to be 12 or so to start that, right? That was back in the day when almost every kid you would find had a little job. They either went babysitting or they had a paper route or they mowed lawns or they went out and picked beans. You know what Linda did when she was a girl growing up? She went and picked raspberries in the great Bear Lake raspberry patch. And you got paid by the pound, didn't you, honey? 
We did, but we didn't do that every day, but we did practice every day. And my mother used to pay me to practice. And when I got to practice, practice five what? days a week, violin and piano. Oh. I mean, she was a tiger mother, my mother. And uh, we had to practice. It was really amazing what we did. And, and actually, my sister's a musician. She's a fabulous accompanist. And I turned out to be a violin major at Utah State University. So, you know, it paid off in the long run. So my point was that kids who learn to earn really become responsible in kind of a remarkable way that's not capable of being duplicated in any other fashion. Kids who earn and work for something suddenly feel a kind of pride, which is actually a good kind of pride. There aren't very many good kinds of pride. But kids who work to earn really get a form of pride. And I wanted Linda to just explain in a little more detail how these boys went about the earning of that money. And do you boys remember how much your Transformers cost? I don't think they did because actually what they did is fill in those squares. They figured it out at the first. They knew how much it cost, and then their mom broke it down and into 40 little squares, and every time they filled in a square... They were that much closer to getting those transformers. I think you can start this really with preschoolers. We always say don't be formally getting people things, I mean getting children uh, into a financial situation until they're seven or eight, until they can actually add and subtract and so on. And we have a big system uh, all laid out in the entitlement trap, which we've referred to before. Well, I mean, but, these kids under eight yeah. can really do a good job of doing whether you use stickers or whether you do squares or whatever it is. Instead of just, I want this and I want that, we figure out how much it costs and then help them earn it. It's just, it is magic. So the, the question we always get, probably the number one question when we are speaking to a group of parents and we describe the family economy, this whole idea of having a family bank and having kids have little checkbooks that just draw on the family bank and having them earn their money through household chores and get a payday once a week instead of an allowance day. The first question is always, well, you know, how early can we start on that? And and we always say when they're, just make them wait. Make them wait till they're eight years old, and then they're old enough to really handle it. But in the meantime, when you've got seven-year-olds like these little twins in the back seat, let them earn individual items that they want with a chart, that they can progressively fill in every time they do a little job. And, oh, man, oh, man, would you see some excited children when it's time for them to actually cash in and get the reward that they've been offered. So we've talked a lot about that on Ayers on the Road, but we thought it was pretty cool to have these boys fill in. And we're going to have them take us to the first break with one more little rendition of that wonderful song they've learned called The Grandmother's Song. So here they are one more time, and we'll go right into break from this song. We love you, Grandfather. Oh, yes, we do. We don't love anyone as much as you. Be right back after 
after a short break. Okay, listeners, parents, grandparents out there in Radio Land, it's the Ayers back for the second half of today's version of Ayers on the Road. We are literally on the road. We got our grandkids in the back seat, and they just gave you some pretty good singing. I bet you can guess who taught them that last song. <laughs> Their grandfather. I'm going to have to uh, revolt on this. We need a grandma song, too, but <clears throat> oh, well. We'll get that on the next time around. Um, it is so fun, though, to have these grandchildren. We have 23 as of December, January, when we had two within two weeks. And um, they are every age from 14 on down. So we have kind of experience with any age that anybody's got, including the older children, who because we are empty nest parents. And so we thought we'd kind of spend the last half of the show today talking a little about the wonderfully intricate relationship between grandparents and grandchildren and in the middle somewhere the parents. It's so interesting that so oftentimes we will, uh, in fact, this is the segue tying it in with financial management and teaching kids to be financially savvy when we present this whole system of a family economy and getting kids to really earn everything they get so they're not given anything, inevitably the parents raise their hand and say, well, that's all fine, it's all sounding great, except for one thing, what do we do about the grandparents? Because they come along and they just spoil the whole system because they think they're entitled, speaking of entitlement, Kids think they're entitled to this and that and the other, but grandparents think they're entitled to spoil their grandkids any time they want. Well, I think um, that might be going a little too far because there are a lot of responsible grandparents out there who check with their children. And I do think it's important when you're buying gifts for the kids, uh, you know, other than a little birthday gift. And even on that, I always call my kids and say, what do they really need? What do they want? We, all of our children live far away from us except for one family uh, that is close enough to come and, to Sunday dinner. And that's but why I, we got these little grandkids. They're the close family. But I do think that it's important to um, check with the parents when you're getting something for them for Christmas. We have a little deal on Amazon. We have Amazon Prime, which some of you may know about, where you don't have to pay any postage or any shipping or handling, and the kids can do a wish list on Amazon and you tell them how much money that you have that you can spend on them and it's not very much in our case with 23 grandchildren but they love to go online and, and come up with a list of four or five things that they would love to have and then it's still a surprise to them because we pick one and send it to them so we know we're not just sending them a bunch of stuff that either won't ever be used or that the parents are kind of sad that you sent because it's too much or uh, they have that already or whatever. So. There are some ways to really work around that as grandparents and make it really a happy situation for both parties. So here's so here's what we're going to suggest to you today. This is our little homework assignment or our little suggestion as a practical tool for parenting and grandparenting. We suggest that you designate a time. This is for those of you that are lucky enough to have grandparents living reasonably close to you or for you grandparents that are lucky enough to have left the nest sort of 
children who now have children of their own living fairly close to you. We suggest you go as a foursome if there's two parents and two grandparents or whatever the configuration is. Go to dinner some night. Pick a special place to go. Get a babysitter for the kids and go fairly early and plan to have a two- or three-hour dinner and plan to devote the entire time to talking about the children, be they your grandkids or be they your kids, depending on you, whether you're which generation, and have a time to really go through the parents being able to explain to the grandparents what their objectives are with each of those kids, what each child is doing very well on, what each child is having a little bit of a hard time on, and see if together the four of you or the three of you, if there's one grandparent deceased or maybe even if you're a single parent, whether it's a meeting of three or four people, take the time to really be analytical about those children, regardless of their age. There may be some teenagers. There may be, there may be small children. But there's nothing quite as wonderful as getting parents and grandparents on the same page and working together on goals that you've set together in terms of what the needs are and what your hopes and dreams are for those children. There's something beautiful about that. And, you know, a byproduct of it, Linda, is that parents and grandparents draw so close together when they are in lockstep and have unified goals in terms of what they're trying to teach to those children that they all love so very, very much. And when you do that, when you have that kind of a planning session, every once in a while, maybe every two or three months or so, have that kind of a dinner together, then the wonderful thing is you're never at cross purposes. You're never resenting each other. You're never resenting the grandparents for giving the kids something that you were trying to make them work for or telling them something that maybe you want it to be your prerogative to talk to them about. Planning, planning, planning. It's the key to everything in life and certainly to parenting and grandparenting. Well, now, Richard, you're sounding this, making this sound a little bit hard, um, although that, that doesn't take very long, but we need to remember that grandparents are fun. They're, to have, they're there to have fun. And there isn't a more fun grandfather in the world. You should see these kids tearing toward this grandfather, and they will take him down every time they see him because they have a lot of fun with him, and we do. We love to take kids to movies. In the summer, we do a little bit more formal stuff. We have so much fun. I have a Grammy camp with each one of these grandchildren, although we go in groups now because we have so many. And we call them group one, group two, group two, group four. And after five, they get to be in one of these groups. And uh, I just take them for an afternoon and then an overnight and then send them home the next day. But we have so much fun. I think it's good to remember that, um, with, to really think about the end. What is the end going to be like for you? What are your grandchildren going to remember you as and what do, what are they going to remember doing with you i mean it's so fun to cook with them and do cookies at christmas and so on but you need to really remember that those kids are going to look back on their time with you as so special even though it just seems to it's so easy to take for granted if you, especially if your kids live close but i like to take my kids to the cemetery 
when we have them in the summer because I live up in Idaho um, where all of my parents and grandparents and so on and relatives have are buried. And so we tell ancestor stories. We go up to um, the cemetery and have scavenger hunts and see who can find who and prizes for the scavenger hunts who, or the person that can tell the story about that person that's in that grave. And it is so fun. I hope that's something they remember. And also, I, my parents were both farm came from farm stock. They're workers, and I believe in work. And so we go out there and gather weeds at the beginning of every little Grammy camp, and they get a penny for every weed they pull. And then we go to the dollar store, and they can buy whatever they want with their $3. I mean, 300 weeds is a lot of work, <laughs> but they do it. And it's so fun to see them really work and then see them get their little rewards at that crazy dollar store. If you were to ask our grandkids what is their most important and favorite thing that happens in an entire year, I think Christmas would come in second. Maybe losing their tooth and having the tooth fairy come might be third. But number one would probably be Grammy camp. Boy, oh boy, oh, do they love going to Grammy camp with Linda. And I... I, I'm I'm a I'm a you know I'm I'm just a beginner compared to Linda and grandparenting, but I do a fun thing with them. That's uh, we have little things we do according to what age they are. When they get to be seven years old, I get to work with them and make them a little treasure chest, a little box where we teach them how to use a saw and a hammer and how to make a little box. And we put a combination lock on it, and that's the little box that they can have for their special special stuff that they want to have. So we have a lot of fun with that. And we have a thing called Grandfather's Secrets, where each year we have a new secret that if they could memorize and remember during the year until the next reunion, the following summer, then they get a, they get a prize, a cash prize, but they also get to tell all the experiences that they had in terms of how they began to get those wonderful things. You better give them one example of that um, so that they know what, you're, what you mean. Well, by like the number one grandfather's secret was a very, very, very sophisticated secret if you think about it. Most kids are waiting for a leader. They just don't know it yet. And we talked about all the times when they might have a chance to be a leader for their right with their peers. But you know what? I want to make the grandparents out there who are listening a little challenge. I, I want to suggest that there's one thing you grandparents can do for your grandkids and for your kids in one fell swoop that both of them will be pretty much endlessly grateful to you for. And uh, it's very simple. It just involves going to your grandkids' house and telling the mom and dad that they are to go out for the evening and you're going to take over. If you really want to go whole hog, do it for a weekend. Stay for a whole weekend and kick out your son and daughter-in-law or your daughter and son-in-law. Tell them to go have a little second honeymoon and that you'll take care of everything there at the house. And man, oh man, you will find that your kids will come back refreshed, more in love than ever, and they will have actually missed the kids while they're gone. And you, at the same time, will learn so much about those children when you're with them for a couple of days without the parents being around. 
Now, Richard, I think there are going to be some grandparents out there giggling, gasping, whatever it takes, because a lot of grandchildren live near them, and a lot of grandparents, and especially grandmothers, are babysitting sometimes almost full-time those children. The last thing you want to do is send uh, spend the weekend with them. But, you know, whatever it is, whatever it takes to really get to know your grandchildren, I do love the parents leaving because then you really get to know them. But well, and what I'm saying, honey, is that sometimes even though you're babysitting a lot for your kids, to actually go one step beyond that and stay for a whole weekend, stay overnight for a couple of nights, and let your kids go out on a second honeymoon and just be there with the kids for a longer time, you end up learning a lot more than when you're just there for three or four hours babysitting because you see the whole dynamic of the family, you see the whole chemistry of the family, and you're really giving a great gift to your kids. The bottom line is grandparenting is so fun. Um, they really, you learn your who you are, you learn her, who they are, and actually in a lot of ways it's a lot more fun than parenting. So we really wish the best for you. We hope you're having a great time with your grandkids, and if, if not, then, you know, if you're just plain parents and looking forward to it, look forward to it because it's so much fun. Now, and we're not out of time, Linda. We've still got two more minutes, and and we don't want to end early because if we do, then they'll have to play too many of those commercials for you. So I just want to say one more thing. I want to be a little bit personal. We just drove into Logan, Utah, and we just drove up the street where I grew up as a little boy, and we're looking at the College Hill where I used to sleigh ride and the college steps that go up to Utah State University, which I think I've walked up probably 10,000 times. And what we're going to do today, this is the practicing what we preach, We've got these two little grandsons, and we are going to show them where grandfather was when he was their age, seven years old. And we're going to take them to the ice cream store where their great-grandma used to work. And we're doing what we call practical genealogy. So we want to say to you that we'll see you next time on Hires on the Road. And in the meantime, remember this. Your family is not just you and your kids. The family is you and your kids and your parents. It's the three generations that really make up a family. So keep that in mind and have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>